Where do you go to church? Where do you go to church? Well, where do you go to church? Right, we've heard those questions with different tones, asked in different ways, uh, probably quite a few times, right? Based on where we are geographically, we've probably uh, heard a friend ask us, or a coworker ask us, or somebody we didn't know ask us as they're fishing to figure out what our spiritual temperature uh, is. But if we're honest, that may not be that great of a question based on what the Bible says about church, right? If we know our Bibles, if we know what scripture says about church, about the church, then I don't know that question makes a ton of sense because the question should, should really be asked this way, hey, are you a part of the church? Because the church is not this place that we occupy. This church is not this place we go to. The church is, in essence, who we as believers are. Right? And so this New Testament church that we read about all the time, it's not a location, but it's a people. And so when we ask that question, it's pretty interesting, right? We're asking, hey, really, what building do you go to? What does it look like? How's the music? All that kind of stuff. But the question we should be asking is just really and truly, are you a part of the church? What's your identifying marker? Are you a believer or are you not a believer? But that gets a little bit confusing because I don't think we have that conversation a lot in our culture. And so I think that uh, culturally, what we've done is we've relegated church to a building and a gathering and a time and a place as opposed to a people. And really and truly, it's no wonder that we act the way that we act, that we, that we don't love the way that we should love, that we mistreat when we shouldn't mistreat, and all those things. Obviously, we're people and we get that, but, but I think if we can figure this question out and we can get it right, then it will start to shape a lot of the way that we look. And the question is not, where do you go to church, but are you a part of the church? Who is the church. What is the church? What is that? That's what we're going to be talking about over the next couple of weeks, and I'm excited about it because I think what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is we're going to bring some clarity to that conversation, uh, and what that's going to do, I think, is help us have some perspective, and then it's also uh, going to encourage us and thrust us to live differently as individuals. And so the question, who is the church or what is the church? For the believer, you are the church. We are the church. That's the answer. Right, You are, the little Christians make up the church. The church is uh, the body of believers, right? Not where they gather, not what they do, but who they are. And so if that's true and we are the church, what does that mean for us? What does it mean if we are the church? If we are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, if God resides with us, what does that mean? Does it require of us something a little bit different than what we've been giving it? Does it, does it demand something of you if you are the church? If I am the church, does it require something different? Does it demand something different? I think the answer is yes. I think it does. I think if we can start to get this conversation right over the next couple of weeks, then what's going to happen is we're going to start to see ourselves a little bit differently. We're going to start to see other people a little bit differently, and we're going to start to see our roles in that process a little bit differently. So we want to establish that right now. This week, we believers are the church. If you're watching this this morning, you're a guest, uh, you're not sure about this whole church thing, you don't really believe in Jesus yet, I want you to know that Jesus wants you to be a part of his church, and so he came and died for you. But today, we're going to be talking about our roles as Christians being the church, not being a part of a building or a place or a time or a setting, but being the church. And so uh, the first thing I think we need to understand about being the church is that as individuals, as Christians who are the church, your DNA, your hardwiring is going to be a little bit different when you have the Holy Spirit come and live inside of you. 
right? And I think the author of Hebrews talks about this. I think Jesus talks about this where he says, hey, don't store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust can destroy because that's not your home. And then the author of Hebrews, he says, man, this is not your permanent dwelling place. And so we kind of start to see this picture and says, okay, if you are the church, what does that look like? How should it look different? Should your perspective be changed? Should it be a little bit different, a little bit of a different posture in your day-to-day? I think the answer is yes, and that's why uh, today we are going to walk through the text, and we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10, and we're going to see this conversation kind of played out as church people, people who, people who are the church, and what our role is and what perspective we should have. So if you're at home and you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11 today. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 10. Here's where we're picking up. It says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out, even though he did not know where he was going, by faith, he stayed or dwelt as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. I love this. I love this because they're using Abraham. And if you know your Bible, uh, what you know about Abraham is Abraham was not always in relationship with God. God had to show up and say, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. Are you willing to listen to me? And Abraham, by faith, this text says, says, okay, God's telling me, whoever God is, this God that I'm starting to interact with, he's telling me I need to go somewhere else. And also, this isn't really even going to be my home at the end of all of it either. At the end of all of it, he says, whose architect and builder is God. I'm looking forward to a city that has foundations. Abraham is being talked about as he's longing for this home. That, that's not even here. His house is not here on earth. His house, eventually his home is with God. That's the one he's longing for. And so I love that we're talking about Abraham because he's the guy that that really doesn't know what's going on. He kind of is the start to all this stuff. And God says, hey, Abraham, I got something I want you to know. I want you to know that I'm calling you to something different. I'm calling you to something bigger. And because of that, I got something better for you than everything you see in the right here, in the right now. Are you willing to look forward to a home that's not here, but a home that is in eternity, a home whose architecture, whose architect is God, whose architecture is made by God. And so why <clears throat> was Abraham so willing to pivot? Why was Abraham <clears throat> willing to just say, you know, I'm going to go out here, I'm going to interact with this God guy, and I'm just going to completely step into the unknown. I'm going to completely step into things I don't know anything about. I'm going to completely step into situations that that I can't predict or I don't know the outcome of. I'm going to go to where this God that I'm interacting with is telling me to go, and we're just going to see what happens. Why was he so willing to do that? And and maybe to to just kind of drop the tension in there, why are we so unable or unwilling to do that? It's interesting. So I, I think Abraham, the reason he was so willing and able is because in his bones, right, in the deepest, darkest parts of his soul, right, in the back corners all the way down, right, he knew, you know, <clears throat> I never really thought this was supposed to be my home anyway. I never really thought that what I see in the, in the 60 to 80 years here for us, this is it. I never really thought that Abraham just, I think he knew in his bones this can't be all there is. There's got to be something else. I've got to have purpose outside of just what I see, what I feel, what I can touch. And so I, I think for Abraham, the reason he was so willing to go and to pivot is because he knew innately 
I mean, there's got to be more to this. And then he has an encounter with God, and God affirms that and says, yes, there is. Are you willing to step into the more than this? And so for us, I think the, the question becomes, okay, Abraham was willing and ready. Abraham wanted this. We are the church. Do we want that? Do we want to look forward to what's to come? If we are the church, do we want to look forward to what's down the road? Do we want to look forward to the architect who is God? Or do we want to look forward to the things that we have right here, right now, that we can tangibly see, that we can tangibly feel, so on and so forth? I think in a way the answer is yes. I think we have this deep sense of longing for the city that is to come. And I think it's evidenced by the way that sometimes we kind of grab on to things. And sometimes uh, we have really big pursuits and goals and objectives. And, and we really love things, especially here in America. We love our things, right? And I think, I think it's evidence that you do have something in you that's saying, maybe there's more to this. And I think it's evidenced by the way that we as people hold on so tightly to the stuff that we have. And I think when we're doing that and we're holding on to that and brokenness is wrecking us, we're saying, man, I just know there's more. I just think there's more. And we're trying to figure out what it is. But in many ways, we're just looking for it in all the wrong places. And so I love that because I think that's the, the beginning of a journey for a lot of unbelievers as they transition, right, Abraham? But I think if we're not careful, for us as the church, it's a lot of backsliding as we lose sight of where our heavenly home is and we start to really and truly fixate our eyes on the things that are here and what it looks like uh, to have these things satisfy an eternal void that they're never going to fill. And, and so this world, this stuff, it will never satisfy you. It will never satisfy me. Why? Because you're not made for it. God tells Abraham, you are not made for this. You are made for the architect you're longing to be with. The architecture that's in heaven. That's where you're longing to be. You're looking for the architect that is God. He's not here. He's there. That's what you're longing for. But I think for a lot of us, we try to grab and scratch and claw because we think it's here. And so it's an interesting dynamic, especially as we are the church. And, and the reason I, I wanted to lay that foundation say, well, it's important that we know we're the church because we're the ones that set the precedent, right? We're the ones that should be saying, man, is this true about me? Do I really want God more than I want things? Do I really want my, chil my, my children, my kids to have Jesus more than they have things, sports, more than they have things, uh, material, right? Whatever that is. Do I really want my kids to have Jesus more than that? I think it's evidenced by how we act, where we give our time. For us, I think it's true. When we lose things, when we, when we suffer loss, when we deal with grief and all that kind of stuff, I think, I think the question is, man, do I really long for the architect of all of this, of heaven, or am I really a lot more enamored with these things than I care to admit? Because at the end of the day, those things will never fully satisfy us. And I love it because he gives the picture in there in verse nine, if you're reading, he said, by faith he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise. That word stayed or dwell in other translates is the Greek word uh, peroikos. And that describes a resident alien or kind of this nomad, right? Kind of this guy who, who's like, you know what? I have roots here, but I'm never really made for this place. I'm kind of just passing through. It's never really intended to be my home. I'm, I'm holding things loosely. Right? That's the picture that the author of Hebrews is painting. He's saying, hey, here's the deal. You are somebody who's experiencing this life, but you're not made or designed or destined to be here forever. You're really just made to kind of come through, to be able to share your life, your truth, the truth of the gospel with people, 
and then really look forward to that permanent architect. And that's the picture he gives, right? That Greek word is this, this resident, so here, but alien or foreigner, not here for long and really not supposed to be here, not made for this place, right? I'm not made for this. I'm made for that. I want to experience that, right? I'm not, not, not this foreigner that's supposed to be here. I'm made for that. I want to experience that. So it's this, this fascinating language uh, that the author of Hebrews uses, and he says, you're not, you're not designed for the right here and the right now. You're going to live in it, and it's going to be your reality, and, and maybe you'll get 80 to 100 good years of it. Maybe you'll get 10, 15, 20. I don't know, but if we can understand that this is not the end-all, be-all, then I think it does start to change our perspective a little bit, and I do think uh, like the author of Hebrews is saying here about Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob, and they are co-heirs of that same promise that there's more out there than what's right here. And so the question has to become, are we willing to look at our lives and say, okay, God, if this is not my permanent residence, have I held on to it too tightly? If this is not my permanent residence, have I given it a little bit more attention than it really deserves? Have I given it more attention than I've given you, than I've given the message that changed who I am? Because I think there's a real tension there, especially with us as Americans, because we love our stuff. We love it, right? It's, it's, it's constantly trying to keep up with the Joneses. It's trying to constantly have the new stuff, the nice stuff. And, and it's not that there's things wrong with stuff, but I think eventually what we start to see in ourselves is, man, maybe this stuff has a little bit more of a grip on me than I care to realize. I love this, this example of that uh, from an article in a San Francisco newspaper. Here's, here's what happens. This young man who once found a $5 bill on the street resolved that from that time on, he would never lift his eyes while walking. Look down the whole time. The paper went on to say that over the years, he accumulated, among other things, 29,516 buttons, 54,172 pins, 12 cents, a bent back in a miserly disposition. But he also lost something. So he found some stuff, relatively worthless, but he lost something. The glory of sunlight, the radiance of the stars, the smiles of friends, and the freshness of blue skies. It's interesting, isn't it? He had his eyes so fixated on what he thought would be in front of him, what he thought the things in front of him would, would bring him, that he lost sight of the beauty that was already around him, those intangibles. And I think it's interesting that money is the catalyst for this, with this individual. Money is the thing he said, hey, man, wow, my eyes got to be down so I don't ever miss another opportunity at money that can help me in the here and now. It's interesting. And when doing that, he traded the back half of that list, the stars, the smiles of friends, the freshness of blue skies, the glory of sunlight. And if we're honest, I'm afraid a lot of Christians are just like that man. I'm afraid a lot of us are just like that. We have missed everything God wants to do. We have missed everything God wants to use his church for because we've been so fixated on these temporal things that bring us so much pleasure in such small moments, right? So, yeah, I think it's C.S. Lewis. He says, we are far too easily entertained. We are in the dirt making mud pies and there's an entire world out there. Is that us? Because we have kept our eyes so fixated on the things that are around us. And when that happens, the reality is we lose time. 
for the sake of the kingdom. We lose uh, energy. We lose relationship. We lose all of that for the sake of the kingdom. And so we're not spending time saying, hey, as the church, our calling is to make sure the gospel reaches every corner and people hear the same news that has changed me. That's our calling. That's our goal. But when we give other things time, too much time, too much energy, too much resource, what happens is, A, we're not living like the church, and B, the world is not getting the hope of the church. Here, here's a good perspective, and I love that we're doing this. If you're watching this on Sunday, we recorded this early in the week, but, but Saturday and Sunday, right, this hurricane has really wrecked a lot of smaller communities around here. And what we're going to do Sunday is we're going to say, hey, we're going to pick our eyes up. And Saturday, we're going to pick our eyes up, and we're going to look out there, and we're going to say, you know what? Perry needs loving. We're going to go love on Perry, and we can't do that if our eyes are down. We're going to go look and we're going to say, Live Oak and Brantford, they need to be loved on. They need to be helped. And we're going to pick our eyes up. We're going to see that. And we're going to go move into that. Why? Because we are the church. And the church are the hands and feet of Jesus. That is our job. That is our calling. I love that. That's what we're going to do because our eyes are up. Right? We're going to help people. Right? In some ways, we're going to restore their things. But, but our main cause, our main calling is going to be to go help humans. Right? To go help other people because they're hurting, they're broken. That is what the church is there for. That is our job. That is our role because it's not a building. It's not a space. It's a people. That is what we do. And I love this because I think as we lose sight of this, as we realize, man, maybe I've been looking for dollars and finding paper clips instead. I think the author of Hebrews also helps us kind of rein that back in. And he says, hey, here's what, here's what faith does. Faith helps us with this. In 13, verse 13 of chapter 11, he says this, these all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised. But they saw them from a distance, greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents of the earth. Now, those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have an opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. I love it. He said, all these people I just listed in chapter 11, you should go home and read it, right? Or if you're at home, read it when we're done today. All these people I've listed, every one of them was looking for something more. And every one of them, because they were looking for something more and asked God, hey, what is this something more? And leaned into his answer, they got to receive what that something more was. I love it. He's talking about them on the backside. They said they received their reward and their reward was more of God because they stopped putting their hope in things and they started putting their hope in him. And it says God is not ashamed to be called their God and he has prepared a city for them to dwell with him. That's incredible. That's what we should be looking forward to as the church. If you're an unbeliever and you've stayed with us this long, I love that. That is what you can be looking forward to, a God who loves you, a God who gave himself for you, a God who is ready right now to build you a permanent inheritance so that you can be with him forever. He wants to fill the void that you have. He wants to constantly recenter back to church us, our void, right? Because we constantly, if we're honest, end up acting a lot more like C.S. Lewis has, planting mud pies and losing focus, looking down at the sidewalk than we are at all the gospel opportunities that are around us as we are called the church, as we are called to be the church, right? It's not lost on me uh, that on the other side of this hurricane, there's been a lot of loss. And, and I heard somebody say this actually today. They said, although they lost a lot of things around their house, they haven't lost their home. And I love that. I think that's the perfect picture of our conversation today. 
The home is not the entity. The home is not the dwelling, right? The home for us is God, and we are the church, and that is what we get to experience. So what does this mean? How should we live then? How does this change the way that we live? I want to kind of walk through this short little list um, for us, what it is to live in this right now. We desire and seek after people here and now the church. That is our job. We should desire and seek to take this conversation, this gospel message to people right here and right now. That's the first thing we should do. We should develop that desire. If you don't have that desire, ask God to give you that desire. Ask God to give you that burden because that is one you should have. The second thing, we confess our identities as strangers in a foreign land. There's a real sense in which, right, we got to offload Uh, our burdens. We have got to say, God, here's where I'm at, and it's not where I should be. And so, God, I just want you to hear that. I want you to hear me say, I realize I'm in a bad place, and I want you to help me work through it. I want you to hear me say, I've held on to things a little bit too tightly, and I want you to help me navigate some of that. Then the third thing is we obey and we set out. We set out on this journey of faith. We obey, and then we go. We set out on this journey of faith, confident that where we're going where we're headed is important. Where we're going, where we're headed, the sake of the gospel, the mission field is important, even though we're never sure where that journey is gonna take us, right? Even though we're never sure what it looks like, what our yes is gonna look like, we go out obediently, we go out confidently because we know that this is what God's calling us to and it's important, it matters. And for us as Christians, we should believe, right, that if this is true for us, it's true for others. And really it's one of those put your money where your mouth is moments. If you believe this, if this is the faith you've held on to, it should demand something different of you. It should demand that you obey and that you go. And the fourth thing is this. I love this language from uh, the author of Hebrews. We live in tents here, and we look to the foundations of the city that's still to come. We're living in tents. What a great picture. These are just tents. This is just temporary. And we're looking forward to the permanence of the city that God has made. Keep that perspective. Keep the perspective we're just living in tents. We're ready to pivot. We're ready to move. We're ready to go wherever God calls us because one day we're going to be with him in the architecture that he's laid out. And that's the most incredible gift that he gives us to be able to dwell with him. I love it because it's the same thing Jesus says, right? When he talks about living in tents, he says, don't store it for yourselves. Treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus talks about this. He says, here's the reality. The reality is, when stuff starts getting stripped away from you, in a very real sense, you're going to realize just how tightly you are actually holding on to it. Right? Where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? That's where your heart's going to be. I love this conversation that uh, I think it's John Piper, Tim Keller, and D.A. Carson are having, and uh, they're kind of just talking about what it is to get older, and they, and they say this. They said, getting older is really just <clears throat> experiencing a, a list of losses. I'm losing my hair. I'm losing my vision. I'm losing my sight, and they're, they're kind of talking about it jokingly, and then they get a little more serious in tone, and they say, you know, start losing your friends, and you start losing your family, and then you lose your spouse, and life just gets harder and harder and harder, and you experience these losses as you get older, but <clears throat> I think it was Piper, he, he pipes up and said, yeah, it's true, but every time I experience loss, it's like somebody is cutting another cord that's tethering me here, 
And in a way, I don't hate it because it's reminding me, you know, this is all temporary anyway. This isn't supposed to be permanent for me. My home is with the Father in his permanent architecture. Am I willing to have that perspective? Am I willing to count every loss as gain? Am I willing to grieve through them? Yes, but realize, you know what? This was not God's plan, and he knows better. Right? Are we willing to get to that place where we say, hmm, am I considering the loss of, uh, of giving up my things, giving up my material possessions, all that kind of stuff? Am I considering that, in a way, this little blessing that's kind of wrapped up in keeping my perspective on the eternal things? I think it's important. I think it's big. I think it's huge. I think it's good for us. I think this week I want you to know you are the church. As the church, you've got a calling, but your calling is going to start uh, when we have the right perspective. We've got to have the right perspective. We've got to know that this place is not our home. God has big things for us, but we've got to loosen the reins on the things that we're holding in higher priority than him. Let me pray for you. Jesus, uh, you're so good to us. Um, you love us. You've given us permanent architecture uh, that we get to look forward to, God. And the most beautiful part about that is that you are there in the middle of that, and that's what we get to experience relationship with you. And so, God, today, um, <clears throat> man, as our brothers and sisters are hurting, uh, Father, because of loss, because of uh, loss of things, whatever that looks like, of the damage, God, that this hurricane has done, um, God, I pray that you would just come alongside them, love on them, use the church to love on them. God, send us to love and then remind them um, that, you know, this is not our home. This is not our permanent residence. Uh, and it's better that we keep our perspective on you, Father. I pray that you would do that. And then, God, for the ones who don't know you, who don't have that perspective, who are just dealing with loss, God, I pray that the church, your church, would step up in the most incredible, tangible way and let people know that there is a God that loves them and we are taking uh, his love and his grace to them in these moments, Father. And I pray that you would change their lives through the way that your church works. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.